Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning. This is Annie for Showreel, and uh, this is our look at uh, what is it? Australian film industry, films that are being made by Australians about Australia or being shown here in a festival style arrangement or something like that, something that's adding to our cultural understanding in a visual way. Uh, And it's being made by Australians. And uh, today we've got this great little interview with a woman called Romy Trower, Trower, Romy Trower has got this great film that's uh, starting tonight at a couple of different cinemas in Melbourne. It's called What If It Works? Uh, but I'll get out of the way as Fred Dagg got out of the way and uh, we'll hear from Romy. Is this your first feature? It is my first feature film, yes. And I noticed that you're the writer, the director and the producer. Uh, yeah, wore a few hats, that's for sure. Um, look, I, I won't claim the main producer title. The the, um, the leading producer on the project is Tristram Mile, who, of course, has um, produced films like Strictly Ballroom and The Black Balloon, so an incredibly experienced producer. So, yes, I did do some producing, as you do in a low-budget uh, feature, but um, I really I would more so claim writer and director, I think. Well, uh, that's obviously a resounding confidence in the uh, film itself. This is really a love affair, almost an almost love affair between two... An impossible love story, yeah. Yeah, that's right, an impossible love story. Uh, set, I'll have to say, in a very well-known area for my listeners. It's in Fitzroy, uh, Richmond, I noticed, and a bit of, uh, of what some people might call Collingwood. But um, Yep. Yeah, yep, you'll notice Collingwood, if you call it that, you'll notice uh, Brunswick, if you know the laneway as well. You'll definitely notice Northgate, if you know some of the colourful laneways as well. So, um, yeah, it looks basically um, popped in all my little favourite uh, spots around Melbourne. It's obviously set in a very vibrant and colourful part of the city, so... Yeah, well, it's, um, yeah. A, it's a charm, isn't it, to, to have all those wonderful street artists being uh, uh, documented this way? Absolutely. Well, Melbourne is renowned at this point, I think, for its incredible street art. And I guess a lot of people know, you know, the CBD and Hosier Lane and that's a sort of a tourist attraction. But the truth is um, some of these suburbs are just full of incredible street art. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I I just thought, why not show it off on screen? And obviously one of the main characters in the film is a street artist. 
uh, hence why she would be living in a in a colourful area like that. And um, yeah, it's been it's been awesome showing the film overseas. People are like, oh my god, Melbourne, it's unbelievable. Like, does the whole city look like that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, um, well, yeah, I've tried to make it look like it does, but. Um, Got to be honest, there are some regular streets out there, but um, yeah, people have loved that element. So it's been nice to show it off, um, particularly overseas, to, to people who aren't familiar with Melbourne. So, but the core of it is really around mental stability, mental illness, isn't it? Or, or living normal lives, or uh, living a life with a with a uh, mental uh, illness. Well, we call it a mental illness that that actually yeah. that gets in the way of of what most yeah, people would look, consider to be uh, normal functioning. Absolutely. So, you know, for for those listeners out there who who don't know what the story is about, it's about a guy called Adrian who's this kind of irrepressibly chirpy tech nerd um, and he has a really severe case of obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. Um, he kind of crashes into his new neighbour Grace who's this beautiful street artist and she has um, multiple personality disorder so it's also known as dissociative identity disorder. I call it DID for short because that's a real mouthful. Um, and uh, yeah and then it's a colourful kind of uh, impossible love story. Yeah, um, the, the, yeah, I guess. the sparks fly. The sparks do fly, and look at the end of the day, it's 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 really a love story like like any other love story. It's just that their challenges and their obstacles are a little different, I suppose, uh, to, to most people's. And um, and it is about, I guess, battling through and, and overcoming and and um, and what's possible when when uh, when there's kind of acceptance and, and understanding and, and empathy, I, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, it's not uh, a film that's saying that uh, uh, obstacles don't exist. Uh, you've, mm. you've got a very clear-minded approach to these things. Uh, there's a reason for that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Adrian suffers from a really severe case of OCD. It's, just, it's extreme and it, it's sort of at a level that people might not be aware of. Um, and uh, and Grace with with her multiple personality disorder again it's it's a it's a really extreme extreme uh, uh, disorder to suffer from so um, so yeah it's definitely it definitely makes life um, kind of challenging but I guess um, it's grounded in truth for me um, so for me the love story is a lot more than I guess the disorders and it's I guess there's there's a lot of um, as I said, a lot of tolerance and empathy, and there's also a lot of comedy in uh, in two people with with so many complications, kind of battling to work it out. But um, but I think that uh, having personally grown up with mental illness in my family and having drawn on that to to create the script, um, you know, you do see you do see the human side uh, more so than you see the disorder. The disorder is is kind of an obstacle, uh, but it's at the end of the day, there are two really good human beings behind that and um and yes but that was why you made the film i mean i mean it's all very well like you've got a a member of your family who has got this extraordinary uh complication in their life and obviously a complication in your family life because it it, what it means is that you have to broaden your scope of understanding uh, absolutely absolutely and i guess Sometimes that's where the comedy comes from as well. So my brother suffers with a severe case of OCD and having having grown up with that, you know, you do get used to um, living a little bit differently and living to accommodate um, that sort of stuff. Um, but um, my brother also has a t- 
terrific sense of humour about everything and about himself. He's very bright and very smart, like uh, Adrian in the film. And I think that's helped us as well to be able to kind of uh, have a little laugh along the way. And, um, you know, sometimes things are really tough, but you're sort of on that borderline quite often between having a tear and laughing hysterically. Um, so <laughs> but, that's I mean, sort of where we found ourselves. Yeah, but, but what I'm probably getting at is that uh, you've got lots of food for thought involved in your own personal experience, but how did it get to be a film? I mean, what's your filmic background? I mean, it's all very well to have an inspiration, yep. but you have to have yeah. the skill. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, um, like, in terms of my history, I'd always been interested in writing and drama um, and film subjects, so it's what I'd done at school and um, through university. Um, I've had some experience as an actor myself in TV and film, so I guess I, I understood what it was like to be directed and uh, be on set, and, you know, it's, you get, obviously, a, a great deal of experience in that way as an actor. Um, and um, I, did, um, I did a performing arts degree, and I... And I I studied film and film distribution as my little kind of backup plan, which now in the marketing phase is kind of coming in handy. <laughs> um, but then I, um, I actually wrote a play. That was the first thing I did. I wanted it to be a film because I've loved film and I've, I've probably went to the cinema at a very young age with my parents and went to see theatre. I was often sort of dragged along seeing stuff that was a bit above what I could understand. But I think it was good because it developed a curiosity in me really early on and a love uh, for the cinema. So... Um, Anyway, I did, I did write a play first just to sort of test out the material. Um, it worked really well. I was like, right, now I need to make a film. But it was set in New York and it was way too ambitious, a sort of a first uh, project. Um, and so then I, uh, I did make a couple of short films, which is always the way to learn. And sort of, you know, you, you get into a few festivals and you get a little bit of a, a bit of credit for doing that. And that, that's the best, I guess, and the obvious path to do not the only path, but, like but a stepping an, an stone. obvious path. Definitely a stepping stone. So I made a couple of short films and um, loved it, like loved every part of it so much. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I think when it came to making my first feature film, I've got a bunch of ideas and a, and a few scripts sitting around, but it's interesting, I think, you know, talking to other filmmakers at, at festivals also with their first feature, so often you end up channeling uh, your personal stuff into... Um, into your first feature. I mean, it, it probably feeds into into lots of work that you do, but often something deeply personal um, in your first film, and uh, I think that's what that's what happened here. And that I think initially my interest in this story it, it began with um, the multiple personality disorder or the DID. My aunt is a psychiatrist who specialises in patients who have this. Um, condition and so for years and years she's seen she's only got about 30 or so patients with uh with DID and I, I had access to case studies and literature and was able to have in-depth conversations with her about it and I was so intrigued by it and moved by a lot of the stories she would tell me that it all started sort of formulating in my brain I thought I've got to write something about this so I was privileged enough once I knew I was writing a script to be able to sit in on some therapy sessions with my aunt and a few of her patients. So I was able to actually watch the process of switching between one part or persona, so to speak, to another. So that was a really, I thought, integral part of, of the research process, um, you know, in terms of being able to write a script that was authentic and also to be able to direct an actress and in, in um, to play such a challenging role. And so it, it really actually started for me with the, with the character who had 
has the multiple personality disorder. And then um, having heard so many stories over the years from my aunt, who's a psychiatrist, and my mum, who's also a psychotherapist, they share a practice. They've they've shared stories with me over the years of of people coming together in clinics um, and <laughs> amazing relationships, like. Yeah. Relationships that you think there's no way that could work. That sounds impossible. Like one person with a whole lot of complexities and, and, and obstacles. How on earth are two people together going to survive that, you know? And I met, for example, a, a, a wonderful lady, um, a patient of my aunt's who has uh, multiple personality disorder and she's in a relationship with another lady who also has multiple <laughs> personality disorder. Between them, there are over 30 parts. Um, and what I thought was incredible, they've got kids between them as well, um, is that it, 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 it was a relationship full of empathy and compassion and tolerance and working around things. And I was really struck by that and moved by that. And I thought, isn't that extraordinary? That, um, and and I, it got me thinking, is there, is there sometimes just a greater acceptance than a, uh, a, a, it, you know, were they navigating things more smoothly because they both had come from a place of trauma and really deeply accepted and understood one another. And so I thought, all right, well, two people with, with multiple personality, it's going to get real complicated in a one-and-a-half-hour uh, film, maybe a TV series. Um, and so it was obviously relatively easy for me to channel a character that has OCD into the story, considering that's what I've lived with since I was five years old. Come to the Union Activism and History Conference featuring a first-hand account of BLF Green Bands, farm worker organising with the National Union of Workers, rebel women, a secret history of Trades Hall, campaigning for a union yes, and much more. The Union Activism and History Conference, hosted by Socialist Alternative and Red Flag Newspaper. Saturday, October the 14th at Trades Hall, Carlton. For more information and bookings, head to redflag.org.au. A 3CR supporter. The state government wants to give property developers access to valuable inner city land that is currently used for public housing. It has announced a large-scale renewal program that will involve the forced removal of tenants and the demolition of nine housing estates across Melbourne. Thousands of new homes will be built on the estates, but the vast majority of these will be privately owned. The developers stand to make big profits by cashing in on land that should be used for public housing. There are nearly 35,000 Victorians on the public housing wait list and there is a housing affordability crisis across most of the state. The need for thousands of new public housing homes is critical. Instead, the government wants to let developers in to build thousands of unaffordable private apartments. Join a community rally to celebrate and defend public housing this Sunday, October the 15th, 1pm at Debney's Park, Mount Alexander Road, Flemington. There'll be speakers, music, kids' activities and a barbecue, organised by the Public Housing Defence Network. A 3CR supporter. For one night only, the Great Forest National Park is coming alive at Howler, Brunswick, October 29th at 7pm. Celebrate our diverse Victorian wilderness through provoking forest projections and performances by Shane Howard, Zach Sabre and DJ Dillian Page. All proceeds go towards the Wilderness Society's work on the Great Forest National Park campaign. Tickets are just $25 from Mosh Ticks. 
That's moshticks.com.au. Just search for Howler. So come and enjoy a unique night out and be wilder. Be Wilder is a 3CR supporter. Tilda is Melbourne's trans and gender diverse film festival, created to showcase and support the work of trans and gender diverse filmmakers, along with works that have trans and gender diverse content. Join Tilda at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, October 26th to 29th, for our 2017 festival, filled with cinema, community and celebration. Head to tildemelbourne.com for program details and tickets. That's T-I-L-D-E melbourne.com, a 3CR supporter. So many things to do. You're on Showreel on 3CR. We're looking at Australian film and we're listening to a conversation that I had with a wonderful and dynamic Australian filmmaker called Romy Trower and her film, What If It Works? And uh, it's a fabulous uh, piece of... uh, uh, I don't know. It's just a, a, a quite an amusing, but also a very uh, uh, Australian Melbourne sort of a film. So it starts tonight, and uh, she gives the details later in the rest of this interview. So listen up. You yeah. have some great actors involved in this. Mm, I did. I did. So I think I knew really early on. Once I got Tristan Marr, the producer, on board, we talked about, all right, who's going to play the character of Adrian? Um, and Luke Ford came to mind very quickly. Um, strangely enough, it was me who who brought the name up first, even though Tristan had made a film um, with him. Uh, I'm sure Tristan was going to be right behind me with the suggestion anyway, but um, we, we knew how terrific Luke had been playing a, a kid with... Um, severe autism in, in the black balloon his performance just blew me away and he'd won an, an AFI for that performance and um, I'd seen that years earlier and that film really really moved me and it really resonated with me hence why I chased Tristan Mile down as the producer I was like he's the right guy for me after seeing that film and uh, and yeah and then after that I sort of just looked at everything Luke had done to see his range and I thought this actor nails it every single time and I knew he was a method actor and I knew he was somebody who was going to throw himself in many months before the film actually started shooting. And I thought to play somebody with this level of um, of OCD, it's really tough. It's really challenging physically, mentally. I thought he he had it. So we we gave him the script years ago and he, was, he loved it. And he was on board for years, um, just waiting for the funding to sort of work out. So he's, he's, ter- he's terrific. And then uh, when it came to casting the character of Grace, who's played by Anna Sampson. It was a really different process. We put out a really wide casting call. We saw a lot of of ladies, um, you know, aged between probably, you know, 20 and 35. And uh, we, it's such a tough role. Uh, She plays four parts that you see in the film. So it's really kind of four roles in one. And the switching between the parts, it's it's definitely a tricky role. And I, I saw Anna's test and, I was looking at so many tests, but uh, I had a gut instinct about her immediately, and I thought, yeah, "Wow, she did she's a good got the range." Yeah, she did you know? a good job. Um, 
Yeah, so I still went through the process of you know millions of tests and recalls and all that sort of stuff, and we brought her in, and then we tested her sort of the chemistry with her and Luke, and um, so whilst you know in some ways it was a, a little bit grueling seeing so many people, I always came back to Anna, and I just I think I yeah I think I just had a strong feeling about her, and I'm so happy that uh, she came on board the project, and I had the most terrific experience with her. So. Yeah. But you've also got uh, some great supporting roles. Uh, you've got oh, Butch yeah. Thatchwell and Wade Briggs. They did a great job too. Absolutely. Wade Briggs is an absolute legend. He um, He's just a champion and, and love his portrayal of, of Sledgehammer. He brought so many layers to that character, which I think really worked. And uh, and as for Brooke Thatchwell, what a smart and funny woman she is. Yeah, she's just, uh, <laughs> She really is just, uh, she just milks every every second. Is, Doesn't is, she? She milks it and uh, she's just <laughs> phenomenal. I, I wish there was actually more of her in yeah. there. Uh, you know, when you're in the edit and you're like, all right, we've got to trim this scene and cut that scene. I'm like, not Brooke. She's so good in this scene. But, you know, for the better of the film, things have to go. But I love uh, I love watching her um, in the film five million times, but I never get sick of her. No, no. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to give a shout out to the uh, uh, the sound person as well as the uh, music. The music's great in this film, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And also the uh, uh, costume, the way people look, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I know Helen people who look like this. Yes, yeah, exactly. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, so um, Helen Fitzgerald was our costume designer, and that was actually a really, for me, an enjoyable and intensive process. To be honest, as as was the production design, but with respect to the costume, you know, Adrian having this OCD and being very rigid and stuck, and also having this great nostalgia for the past and his father and his a, a sort of a time gone by where things were kind of better. Um, that all that need to be re- all that needed to be reflected in his costuming, and uh, with respect to Grace being uh, having her multiple parts. You know, different parts are responsible for the way um, a person who has multiple personalities still dresses. Um, and it's not always clear-cut. It's not always just like, okay, I've got the sexy outfit on, now I've got the tougher outfit on. Um, some of her stuff, because she's an artist, because she weaves and paints and, you know, knits and draws and her, her bike is covered in art, her vest is something that she's weaved together, she's got trinkets and you know, jewellery on and, and we uh, we had in-depth discussions about which parts would have participated in the creation of certain elements. So um, there's a very layered approach to her home and her costuming that no one's ever going to realise, you know. That we're oh, no, really, I, really I, smart, noticed. You know, I noticed. You noticed. Um, I did. And but, um, Brooke Satchwell's costuming, I mean, she's a very beautiful person, looking person. Yes, but absolutely. the costuming and everything about her was just hilarious. It's fantastic. Yes, yeah, yeah. Good. I'm glad you thought that. Oh, no, I did. Yeah, I, yeah. It was really good. It was very good. The kind good. of hipster, the hipster mustard brown look yeah, that is right. so cool and hipster that just really doesn't do anything for you, but we'll wake up, you know, in a few years and go, what? Like, why was everyone wearing that? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was yeah. very, very good, very good. And as I said, the music <laughs> was very good too. Yeah, look, our um, our composers are very, very gifted um, musicians, so that was really a, a, dream, uh, a dream process, working with them and talking about the kind of sounds we wanted and they were just so on the ball and it was so easy to, for them. Well, I say it was so easy. They worked yeah. bloody hard. Was it their first with, film or a feature? Or uh, 
had they yeah, done others? It was their first film. They're, they're, um, they're musicians and they play in a band and whatnot, but this was... Um, I think, actually, sorry, the, um, Tyler had done uh, a short film or two before. Well, they've done um, a great job. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great opportunity, very, very wasn't it? It was a good opportunity Absolutely. for a lot of people. Absolutely. It, it really was. And we were also very lucky to have some incredible um, bands come on board for our, um, our source track uh, music. It's sort of like... Uh, um, you know, it's sort of like a Triple J session in there with uh, City Calm Down and the Jungle Giants and Dustin Tebbett and Rufus and we, we were really lucky to have a lot of awesome um, songs in there, um, which was great because on a low budget it's not easy um, to get, you know, necessarily all your dream music, but we were just fortunate that, you know, we thought they were right and we showed them a bit of the film and, and they loved it and we're happy to come on board. So that was just so exciting to be able to, have that amazing music. You're obviously a very out there girl. <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get. You get, they can't say well, that's no. That's exactly it. You know, people will say to you, "Oh, you want that track? Don't even bother it." You know, they're going to try and charge you X yeah, amount, thousands and thousands of dollars. What a waste of time. You know, for example, Adrian is nostalgic about, as I said, it's sort of a time, an era gone by. He has a, a you know, a thing for kind of poppy, romantic. Uh, songs and uh, reflected in the posters that are around his apartment and people said to me you'll never get a Celine Dion poster you'll never get a you'll never get a rock set poster it'll cost you a fortune it's like if you don't ask uh, you'll never know like sometimes once you present the project if you can show them a little clip and you can and you can present a decent argument for the fact that you're low budget people will consider doing things for a lot less than you think so yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, the rock set poster is actually very important. Very important. <laughs> I noticed <laughs> that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't live without it. You <laughs> Couldn't know? live without it. So, no, exactly right. We wanted Sinead O'Connor, I've got to say. We wanted Sinead O'Connor in there as well. And we did uh, We did chase that. But unfortunately, I think she was going through a bit of a difficult time. And just it wasn't a costing so much as she wasn't in the position to sort of negotiated at that point in time. So oh, yeah. we were happy with Celine and Roxette. We yeah. thought we, that would do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's been received very well. It has. It's been um, it's been wonderful um, travelling to festivals here and in Canada and the States. And, um, yeah, we've, we, we have won a couple of awards. And But, honestly, the best thing's probably been, uh, you know, the Q&A sessions after the film. Um, it's always nerve-wracking to go up on stage and face the audience and be ready for anything that they're going to throw at you. But it's, that's actually turned out to be my favourite part of this whole process. I think because the film, it, it does touch a lot of people and it you don't have to have someone in your family with severe OCD or multiple personality disorder. I think people just relate to it generally, you know, whether it be they, they feel like a bit of an oddball or, uh, you know, the fish out of water or, or whether they have, have someone in their life that, that struggles. Um, so many people uh, have a really emotional response to the film, but at the same time say, like, you know, they've walked out feeling really good, like they're on a high about life. Um, well, it's and music. that's been thrilling. Like, that's, that's yeah. exactly what you want. You well, know? Film, like, I like that in a movie. Yeah, the film's some music. It's not just, yeah. you know, like it's not a downer. It's actually really quite funny. Uh, I mean, in an amusing yeah. way, not not in a sort of... Yeah. And uh, it's going to be uh, screening at... It's got a release, hasn't it? Yes, at the moment, um, the only part of the release that we have uh, locked in that I can tell you about is our Melbourne release starting on the 12th of October. 
So Thursday the 12th, we open at the um, the classic cinema in Elstonwick, the Lido in Hawthorne and the Cameo Cinemas in Belgrave. Um, we do have a special screening in Sydney at the Dendy Keys on Monday the 9th of October that's hosted by SANE Australia, um, an organisation that promotes the wellbeing of um, people with complex mental illness. That'll be great. And then, yeah, we will have more uh, Sydney screenings to announce soon. So, Thanks for talking to me, Romy. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good luck, eh? I'm spasticus, I'm spasticus, artisticus, I'm spasticus.